About 3,200 years ago, Israelite families sat in their homes waiting on the deliverance of God. God was going to bring them out of bondage. God was going to take them out of their slavery. He was going to save them as he had promised to do. He was setting his people free. And they had been instructed to take a spotless lamb, one without blemish, and they were supposed to slaughter that animal. And they were supposed to take some of the blood, and they were supposed to paint that blood on their doorposts and across the lintel, the crossbeam of the doorway. And they sat in their homes waiting on God to deliver them waiting on their salvation. They were instructed to then eat the lamb and wait because God was bringing judgment on the people of Israel, I mean on the people of Egypt because of Pharaoh's hard heart, because of Pharaoh's unwillingness to let God's people go out of Egypt. God was going to judge them. And he had gone through nine different plagues, warning them, and Pharaoh still wouldn't budge. And so that took them to this night, where God said, the firstborn of every family and the firstborn of every livestock in the land is going to die as judgment for Pharaoh's unwillingness as judgment for their false beliefs in false gods. And God had promised the people of Israel, I will spare you. Your homes will not see the death that I'm bringing on this lamb. Because when I pass through the land and I see the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, I will pass over you. You will be spared. I can imagine the tension in the homes of the Israelites. I can imagine the kind of anxiety building of when's it going to happen? How will we know? Did we do everything right? I can imagine some families praying quietly. I can imagine small children feeling very restless about what is happening in their home and how serious everyone is being. And then I can imagine the shock of the piercing screams that filled the night air. From every home, from Pharaoh's palace, to every other home, Scripture says not a single house of the Egyptians was spared this judgment. There was death that hit every house except for the people of God. God did what He had promised that He was going to do and Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron in and said, Get out of my land. And as the families fled... They passed through the doors that were covered in the blood of the Lamb. And it was a reminder 
God had spared them. Death had come, but God had saved them. Just as He had promised that He was going to do. And it was a reminder that the the Lamb died so that you wouldn't face death. The Lamb lost His life and shed His blood so that you could be saved and have new life. Real life. Freedom. That was an amazing act of God's salvation for the people of Israel. Of course, that act, God wanted them to remember, and He instructed them, celebrate every year at this time, to remember the deliverance that I gave you. Celebrate every year by taking a lamb and doing this, To be reminded of the salvation that I gave you. The deliverance that I gave you. And of course they remembered that every year. Not only as a way to remember something from the past. But God was using it to look ahead to something in the future. God was using that act of salvation to point ahead to an even greater act of salvation. It was pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus, John the Baptist, referred to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was about to lay down his life. Jesus was about to have his blood shed so that we would be saved That act of salvation was pointing ahead to our Savior. And in today's text, we're going to see Jesus and his disciples gathered together, celebrating Passover, celebrating the faithfulness of God to save his people. It's his final night. As we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, this is his final night with his disciples. And we're going to see him celebrate the Passover. We're going to see him instruct his people, his disciples, in some final things. And he's going to prepare them for what's to come. Our sermon is titled, Jesus, Our Passover Lamb. Turn with me to Luke 22. I'm going to read 1 through 38 and pray for us. The festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priest and the temple police how he could hand him over to them. They were glad And they agreed to give him silver. So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them when the crowds were not present. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. 
Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not like that to be among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me, until you deny three times that you know me. He also said to them, when I sent you out with, without money bags or traveling bags or sandals, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they said. Then he said to them, but now... Whoever has a money bag should take it, and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to its fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. That is enough, he told them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We ask that you uh, open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to the Savior that we have been that we have been given. Uh, 
for those who have not trusted in Christ today, open their eyes to see and believe the good news. For your church, God, we pray that we will be encouraged and built up as we are reminded of the salvation that has been offered and that has been made possible because of Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The central truth of this text is Jesus is our Passover lamb. So that's what we'll be looking at as we kind of walk through this uh, and seeing Jesus' final night with his disciples before his arrest, uh, seeing him as the provision, the sacrifice that was made, that was going to be made so that we could be saved. The first thing from this text, the first part of this passage, we see that Jesus is going to be betrayed. Jesus is betrayed. Now that betrayal, of course, is happening in order to prepare Jesus to become the Passover lamb. That betrayal is setting the stage for the Passover lamb to actually be sacrificed. So, the first six verses of of Luke 22, the festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priest and the temple police how they could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver. So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray, the, to betray him to them when the crowd was not present. So those first two verses, we've seen this before. We've seen it actually much earlier in his ministry that the, the religious leaders wanted to get rid of him. They were trying to figure out how can we stop this man. But then we've seen it multiple times since he has entered Jerusalem In this final week of his life, the scriptures have stated several times that they were looking for an opportunity. They were ready to destroy him, and they're trying to figure out how they can do it. However, they're terrified of the people. Jesus has a large following, and so they're terrified that the people will turn on them if they have Jesus killed. So they're trying to find a way, how can they can do this in private? How can they, they've been trying to trick him in something that they, he could say. So they've been working in all of this. This is one of the most holy of times for the people of Israel. And very revealing of the heart of the religious leaders where they should be preparing for the celebration of God's salvation, where they should be thinking back on God's faithfulness to His people, they're plotting murder. They are looking for a way to destroy the Son of God. And so finally, Satan is ready to strike you remember after the temptation in the wilderness, this was all the way back in Luke 4, Satan had tempted Jesus, Jesus had overcome every temptation there given to him, and the scripture said Satan went away for a more opportune time. He has that now, because the religious leaders are ready to murder Jesus. 
And there is a follower of Jesus, one of his closest disciples, who is ready to betray him. And Satan, it says, enters Judas, one of his twelve disciples. And Judas goes to the murderous chief priests and says, How can we work out a deal? What will it take? What, what do you need from me? And they offer him silver to hand over Jesus. We'll give you 30 pieces, one of the other gospel accounts records. 30 pieces of silver, if you'll figure out a way for us that you can hand this man over to us when the crowds aren't around. Because everybody loves listening to him. But if you can help us find a way to capture him, so that we can put an end to this man, we will pay you in silver. And Judas takes the, the money and starts looking for the opportunity. When can I take them to Jesus? So here we see the religious leaders, one of Jesus' disciples and Satan all working together to destroy Jesus. What they don't realize is they're actually bringing about what's going to be necessary for salvation to be made to the people of God. The betrayal that is happening, the betrayal that they are plotting, is actually going to finally set the stage for the sacrifice to be made for Jesus to be able to die in our place for our sins. An innocent, spotless lamb is going to be killed and salvation is going to be made available to the world. God was using this. So yes, there is a betrayal and we're going to see more about that later on in the text. But that doesn't mean God had lost control. God was actually in control. They were fully aware of what was taking place. God was using it. And so that leads us to the next scene here. Jesus was aware and in control. Jesus was aware and in control. Verse 7 through 13. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then... He will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it, just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So Jesus sends Peter and John on the day that the lamb needed to be sacrificed. Sends Peter and John into the city to prepare for them to celebrate Passover. Jesus knows What's coming? Jesus is in control of what is happening. And we kind of see that a little bit in this scene. You're going to be met by a man carrying a water jar. That was not common of the day. 
Carrying a water jar was the work of women. You're going to go in the city and you're going to see something that doesn't look right. There's going to be a man carrying a water jar and you're going to follow him into a house. And when you get there, ask the owner, where am I supposed to prepare the Passover for the teacher and his disciples? And he's going to show you a room. Jesus was aware of things. He was in control of things. He was setting the stage to be faithful to God and to be faithful to his mission. He tells them, go and do this and make the preparations. And it says that they go into the city and they found things just as he had told them. The statement there is it's kind of like a a little bit of a shocking thing. Wow, all of these things played out just like Jesus said it was going to happen. Jesus knows things that a normal human being wouldn't know. He is in control and accomplishing God's will. We've seen the control of Jesus over and over throughout the Gospel of Luke. It comes back to his authority. Right? He's in control because of the authority that he has. As the divine Son of God, he is in control. And here, even in little details, he is controlling things to bring about and accomplish the salvation that God is preparing for his people. We have a Savior that is aware and that is in control. We have a Savior that is accomplishing God's will here in this text. The third thing that we see is Jesus is to be remembered as he is preparing to become the sacrifice for us. He wants his church to remember him. He wants his followers to remember the sacrifice that was made. So in verse 14, we see this. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. Jesus says, I've been longing for this moment. I've been longing to celebrate this meal with you, to sit at this table and eat this reminder with you. And he says again, we see his awareness of everything that's going to happen. I wanted to do this before I suffer. He knows the suffering he's about to endure in the coming hours. 
He knows the death that is waiting for him in less than a day. And he says, I wanted to to remember God's faithfulness. I want you to remember the salvation that God is accomplishing. I want you to remember me and the sacrifice that is going to be made. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper for his followers. And that is for the church still today. He says, when you he took the elements of the Passover meal, took some of those and said, look, when you do this, when you eat this bread, I want you to remember it was my body that was given over so that you could have life. When you take this cup of wine and drink it, I want you to remember my blood was shed for you. I laid down my life for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember the sacrifice that was made. Jesus shows that this Passover meal was pointing ahead to the sacrifice that he was going to make. The the greater salvation that was going to be provided. I'm going to lose my life for you so that you can live. And so in verse 21 through 23, we see he knows exactly what's going to happen while still being in control. He says, the hand of the one betraying me is actually at this table with us. The one that is handing me over to die is right here amongst us. And we see the statement about his control. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. This is exactly what God had planned. Jesus Christ was going to come. It was determined that Christ was going to become the sacrifice so that we could live. He's controlling things and accomplishing God's will. However, there's still judgment to come. He says, woe to the man who that betrayal comes through. Woe to the man. He could have called Judas out. He could have said to the other eleven, Judas has already plotted. Judas has taken 30 pieces of silver and is waiting to hand me over. It's going to happen tonight if you don't do anything about it. They could have stopped it. But Christ was determined to be the sacrifice for us. Christ was determined to do exactly what the Father desired so that salvation could be made available to each of us. The whole group starts to argue. Which one of us would do something like that? Which one of us is going to turn Jesus in? They start to argue about who would be the one. So Jesus here has used a feast that was intended to be a reminder of God's salvation. And he gives communion to the church and says, remember me. Don't forget the sacrifice that I made so that you could live. And so for us, church, let's always remember him. 
Let's always remember it's the only reason we have life. The only reason we have salvation is because of Jesus Christ. The next thing we see in this text is Jesus lived a life of humble service. So by becoming the Passover lamb for us, by becoming the sacrifice for us, he lived a life of humble service for us. Verse 24 through 30. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is the greatest among you should become like the youngest And whoever leads like the one serving, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus lives a life of humble service for us. His life, His whole ministry was one of service. His whole life from the birth was one of humility. The fact that the divine Son of God would step into our world and live a life of service and then die in order to save us. He was living a life of humble service. Now, it seems odd in this text that they turn to arguing about which one of them is greatest. At first look, you think, really? This is what y'all are going to start talking about? Jesus has just said... Hey, someone at this table is turning me over. I'm about to die because someone here is betraying me. And now y'all are going to start talking about who's the best. But I can imagine how it got to that. Remember, right before this, they were arguing which one could hand Jesus over. Which one could betray him? And I could see easily... The arguments going like this. Who's going to do it? Is it you, Thaddeus? You, Simon? Are you going to do it, John? What about you? And someone making the defense. How could I do it? I'm his most faithful follower. I've been more faithful than any of you. Do you remember when we were in this town? The number of demons I cast out? Do you remember when we were here? What I did? There's no way I could be the one that would turn him over. And I could see that being how we get to arguing now about who's the greatest of his followers. We don't know for sure, but it makes sense to me that that's how we would get to this debate. And Jesus is going to patiently, lovingly correct them. This isn't the way you're supposed to be. As, as, as one of my followers, this is not how you're supposed to be thinking of, I'm the greatest, I'm better than, I've been more faithful than everyone else. It's like, it's not supposed to be like that among you. In fact, you're actually supposed to live an opposite life to that. 
Instead of trying to elevate yourselves, you should take the form of a servant. Instead of trying to lift yourself up and make yourself look so great, you're supposed to lay your life down. And then we see the reminder that that's exactly what Jesus is doing. That's exactly what He has done throughout His ministry and what He's doing right now. He's living a life of humble service. John's Gospel records that this is the night, this is the meal, where Jesus got up from the table, wrapped a towel around Himself, and walked around and washed the disciples' feet. The role of a slave, the role of a servant, Jesus modeled that throughout His life. He asked the question in verse 27, Who's greater? The one at the table are the one being are the one doing the serving. And the answer is obvious. Well, in that situation, the person that's of a higher status, the person that's of a greater status is the one that's at the table, the one being served, and he reminds them, Yeah, but don't forget about me. I am among you as the one who serves. The actual greatest one was in their midst. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. And he's saying, I'm among you as the one who serves. I've served you in all of this. My life has been one of service. And it's for your good. It's for your benefit. Because then he turns to, I'm giving you the kingdom. I'm going to bestow on you the kingdom of God. My service has been to elevate you. I've taken this low position in order to raise you up. You're going to be given the kingdom of God. You're going to eat at the table with me in the kingdom of God. You're going to judge the twelve tribes. You are being elevated because of my humble service. He served in order to lift us up. Jesus lived a life of humble service. Him becoming the Passover lamb, the sacrifice for us, is just the end of an entire life of humble service. And He did so in order to rescue us, in order to save you from your sins, in order to save me from my sins, in order to raise our status. Right? Scripture talks about before Christ, we are enemies of God. And He has elevated our status to now being sons and daughters of the Most High. Because of His humble service. And since that's true, that should lead us, church, to live that same kind of life. Jesus says, that's not supposed to be how you live. Trying to elevate yourself. Because Christ has lived this sacrificial life, this life of humble service that raises us up, we can follow in our Savior's footsteps and live a life of humble service too. And our last point we see, Jesus provided care for His disciples. Jesus provided care for His disciples. We see that in a couple different ways. Verse 31 to 38. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. And you, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. 
Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. He also said to them, when I sent you out without money bag, travel bag or sandals, did you lack anything? No, not a thing, they said. Then he said to them, but now whoever has a money bag should take it and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to its fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. That is enough, he told them. So his first act of providing care was on a specific level to Peter. Imagine the gravity of that statement. Simon. Simon. Satan has asked God to sift you like wheat. You sifted wheat by shaking it violently. Satan has asked God to destroy you. The you there is all of you. Satan wants to and has requested to wipe you out. Talk about gravity of a statement. And then look at the care of our Savior. But I've prayed for you. Satan is trying to find a way to wipe you out, and I've prayed for you. I've prayed that your faith won't fail. He knows it will. He knows what Peter's going to do. He tells him in just a couple of verses. But he not only provides him by care by saying, hey, I've prayed for you, but he also is willing to commission him over again, even though his faith is going to fail, even though he's going to even deny knowing him in just a few more hours. Because he says, when you've turned back, I've got work for you to do. He doesn't write him off knowing that Peter's going to deny even knowing him. He actually says, when you come back, I want you to strengthen your brothers. I'm still going to use you, even though you're going to deny me. Peter, of course, is like, absolutely not. No way. I'll go to prison with you. I will die with you. And Jesus lets him know, no, you're going to deny me. Three times tonight, you're going to deny me. You'll deny even knowing me. And gives him a sign of a remembering this conversation. The rooster will crow, but not before you've denied me three times. So Jesus is providing personal care to Peter. I've prayed for you so that Satan does not accomplish what he's trying to do. And I have work for you to do when you come back to me. And then he is also going to provide care for the disciples as a whole that are there by letting them know what's to come. So he turns to them and says, do y'all remember 
when I sent you out before? This would have been, I don't know, Luke 10, 11, I can't remember exact chapter. Much earlier in the gospel, Jesus gathered disciples and sent them out and said, don't take anything. Don't bring anything with you. I want you to just trust me. I'm going to provide everything you need while you're out doing the work. He says, do you remember that? Did you lack anything while you were, while you were doing that? They say, not a thing. He's like, that's right. And then he wants them to know, but you need to be prepared for what's to come. It's time to be prepared. Now, this isn't a statement of him saying, I'm not going to be able to care for you anymore. Don't, don't misjudge that. He's just letting them know the gravity of what's to come. You need to be prepared. Take your money back. Take your traveling back. If you don't have a sword, get a sword because things are about to get serious. Actually, in just a few hours, things are going to get deadly serious. And he tells them, again, this was all part of God's plan. He says, remember what was written about me. What was written must be fulfilled. In verse 37, he quotes from Isaiah 53, verse 12, and he was counted among the lawless. He was counted among the lawless. A prophecy about the suffering servant. A prophecy of of what the Messiah was going to endure. That's the same passage about by his wounds we are healed. And in verse 12 of that passage... It says he is going to be counted among the lawless. That's happening to Jesus Christ. He's actually going to be put on trial like an actual criminal. He's going to be killed on a cross between criminals. He was counted among the lawless. And it was all God's plan in order to offer salvation. And so he's letting his followers know. It's about to get serious. You need to be prepared for what's to come. But don't forget, this is what God's been doing. This is what God promised to do. But be ready for the days ahead. He wants His followers prepared. Think of the care our Savior has for us. What we see in His care for His disciples that night. The care that he gave to Peter. Knowing that Peter was going to deny him. Knowing that all of them were going to flee and be nowhere to be found. As he's put on trial and then murdered. And yet he cares for them in this passage. And that's a reminder. This is the same Savior we have. This is Jesus Christ our Lord. He provides that same care for us. Knowing that we'll fail. Knowing that we're going to go against Him. Knowing that we may even deny Him at times. Whether in word or in action. And yet He still cares for us. He still willingly becomes a sacrifice for us. As the Israelites were gathered in their homes 3,200 years ago waiting on the salvation of God, Luke's Gospel, which we've been in for a year and a half now, 
has us in that same position. Looking for the salvation that God has promised. Remember in Luke 2, even before this, in the prophecies that were made, but in Luke 2, the announcement is, the Savior of the world has come. And so, as we've been studying for a year and a half this gospel, we now sit waiting for the accomplishment of God's salvation. We have just a couple of more weeks left. Uh, We'll look at his trials next week and the week after that, and then his death on the cross. The salvation that God has provided Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the sacrifice for us so that we can be saved. Jesus is going to die on the cross in less than a day from when these events are happening. He was going to be a sacrifice for you and for me for the forgiveness of our sins. He faced betrayal and denial from the people that were closest to him. And he didn't waver in his commitment to become the sacrifice. He didn't waver in his commitment to bring salvation to you and to me. If you have not trusted in Christ for salvation, today is a day to do that. Scripture says if you would just believe in him, you would be saved. And so if you'd like to talk more about the sacrifice that Jesus made so that you could be forgiven Please see me after the service. Church, for us, what a Savior we've been given. Christ, our our sacrificial Lamb, our Passover Lamb who laid down His life so that we could have life. Jesus is about to die out of His love for us. May we never forget Him. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. We confess there are times that we deny, whether in word or in action, our Savior. We thank you that you are a forgiving God, a committed God to our salvation, to our rescue. Jesus, we thank you for enduring what you endured in order to save us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.